This morning we're going to talk about a topic or a subject that is a little uncomfortable for most pastors to preach on, and that's because the topic is pastors, it's preachers. Now, I know many people think that pastors like to talk about themselves, uh, but we don't. It's uncomfortable, and it's especially uncomfortable when you see it in the Scripture and how it describes what a pastor should live like. But since we're following along in 1 Corinthians, and this is a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study, we're going to follow along and see what Paul has to say. I can remember back almost 13 years ago um, when you called me as your pastor. I remember coming that weekend, and my wife and I, and we met everyone, and we came and visited with the church, and you voted for me to be pastor. And I went back to my church I was serving at in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, we were filled with anxiousness. I was filled with nerves, really. Uh, after 20 years of serving as an associate pastor and a student pastor and a college pastor, I was now going to be senior pastor or lead pastor. And uh, there's just a lot of anxiety that goes on with changing roles. And I try to describe it to somebody. It's kind of like when you're a kid and a teenager and, and you've learned to drive and you've uh, been practicing and you've studied and you've had all these ideas about driving and then you finally get behind the wheel of one of your parents' cars for the first time without them in there and all the nerves of what will I do and what could happen. And, and I can remember going to my lead pastor there in Chattanooga who was a mentor to me and a spiritual father and I was asking him questions and he was encouraging me and he was blessing me. And I remember asking him, I said, now what happens, pastor, if I come to something that I don't know what to do? If I come up against a situation or a circumstance and, and I don't know what I should do, what happens? And he started laughing. I thought, well, what's so funny about that? He said, you don't understand. He said, that's probably the easiest thing that you can deal with. Because if you ever come up to a circumstance or situation and you don't know what to do, all you have to do is ask a church member. They're full of opinions on what you should do. <laughs> now, <clears throat> uh, that was sort of a joke, but really it's not a joke. I can tell you in my time of ministry, I've been uh, bombarded with ideas of what I needed to do. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you need to, to go see so-and-so. They might be interested in the church. Or, Pastor, you need to fix this. And when they say fix this, it could be anything from air conditioning to a lock to a window to a drippy faucet to a toilet. You need to fix this before next Sunday. Or sometimes it's, Pastor, you need to go see so-and-so because they're upset and they're angry and you need to go find out what you did to them. And so I, I, all of those things were suggestions. Uh, for me as a pastor, and I always want, was tempted to say, well, I'd love to do that, but it's tough considering I only work on Sundays and Wednesdays. <laughs> now, that's a joke. Hopefully some of you understand that that's a joke. <laughs> a Guidestone's recent survey, looking at pastors' lives, taking a survey of pastors all across the country, found that the average pastor works anywhere from 65 to 75 hours a week. A pastor doesn't have time off. There's no checkout where you can be off the clock as a pastor. And that the average lifespan of a pastor is 10 years less than a person who doesn't have to deal with the stress and the spiritual stress that a pastor deals with. That survey also found that for a good biblical sermon which hopefully I try to give on a weekly basis, it usually takes anywhere from 25 to 30 hours of study and preparation and work. So you just think about a pastor that has to do two sermons a week. 
15 to 20 hours to 25 hours. A seminary professor once told us that for every half hour that you're going to speak, that takes an hour of preparation time. That's a lot of work. Just imagine in your own life, those of you that have to give oral presentations, imagine the stress of having to give an oral 30-minute presentation every week, week after week, and your audience is not for a grade or not for a job. Your audience is God. It's a stressful job. It's a stressful job and a stressful life. And while some people think that preachers don't do anything, some people think that the pastor should do everything. There are people in the church that think that pastors should, should do everything that there is to do in the church. That means landscaping and cleaning and uh, cleaning up after people and working in the nursery and fixing things and, and all of those other things. And I fear as a pastor that so many churches are struggling today because their pastors are doing so many things to keep their job that they don't have time to really be the pastor that God's called them to be to that church. And that's exactly the same attitude that Paul deals with in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Things hadn't changed, sadly, and if you've been with us, you know that Paul, for the last three chapters, has been dealing with the division that was going on in the Corinthian church. There were factions. They were splitting. They were arguing. There was no unity in the church, and most of the disunity had to deal with this idea of my pastor is better than your pastor. And they looked at, they had Paul that came and started the church, and Peter, some of them had discipled under Peter, and then Apollos had showed up, and so some of them were saying, well, Apollos is a better speaker than Peter is, and Peter's a better minister than Apollos is, and and Paul does better than everybody, and so they were all confronting each other and fighting, and, and instead of lifting up the pastors that had come before them, they were pulling them down, they were denigrating them. Paul says it's destroying the church. They weren't listening to the pastor that they had because they were so interested in what the pastor before had done or what someone else's pastor had done. And so Paul is saying, listen, you're falling into a trap. We all fall into that trap sometimes of thinking that the best way to get our opinion across or the best way to elevate what we think is right is by denigrating everybody else's opinion. Paul said it's destroying the unity in the church. And so he has subtly, for the past three chapters, dealing with illustrations and metaphors, tried to get it through their head that there is something more important in the church than your opinion. But here in chapter 4, he's going to throw subtlety out the window. Here in chapter 4, he is going to take off the kid gloves, and he is going to, through sarcasm, through direct response, going to confront This idea of disunity in the church and the way he does it is is so beautiful. Instead of talking about what they think and what their opinion is of a pastor or a spiritual leader, he is going to outline what a spiritual leader is supposed to look like. Then he's going to compare it to their attitudes about the spiritual leaders that God has given them. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And know most of the time, if you've been with us or you've been here before, you know that I like to go slow and try to digest the chapter and, and dig deep. And there's a lot of great truth here in chapter 4. But we're this morning not going to dive down. We're just going to go through the passages and we're going to read the scripture and we're going to see the picture that Paul paints of spiritual authority. Spiritual leadership, pastors and preachers. So if you have a Bible, I want you to be able to follow along with us. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you. You can grab that and find 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to start us reading in verse 1. 
So then, men ought to regard us, and when he says us, he's talking about himself, and he's talking about Peter, and he's talking about Apollos. That's been his whole argument. Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, that secret things of God goes back to what he's been teaching us. It's not some secret out there or some mystery, some of your translations say. It is the Word of God that is revealed through the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God that comes alive when the Holy Spirit empowers you. It's that God's wisdom that he's been talking about. He says that the, the people of God, the servant of God, should be a servant of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given this trust must prove faithful. For I care, I love this verse, for I care very little if I'm judged by any of you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself, for my conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent, for it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time and wait until the Lord comes. For he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. So what does he say? The very first thing, the top priority of a, of a servant of God is someone who is an authentic spiritual leader. He says they are servants of Christ. The main priority of a pastor, the main priority of someone who is called to be a spiritual leader is to be a servant of Christ. Now the interesting thing here is the usual word for servant in the New Testament is the word doulos, which means bondservant. That's found most of Paul's letters, but here he uses a different word. He uses the Greek word huperetes, which means uh, galley slave. He says the servant of Christ, the one who God calls, is a galley slave. Now, the galley slaves were the lowest of all slaves. They were the under rowers is what they were. And that's a literal translation, under rower. You remember seeing in your history, hopefully, in a Greek treme, which is a Greek ship or a Roman boat, they had rowers that would line the bottom of those boats. Those were the under rowers. They were the galley slaves. They were the ones who rowed. They didn't do anything else but row the boat. Listen to the captain. When the captain said row, they rowed. When the captain said turn, they turned. When the captain said stop, they stopped. And what Paul is saying by painting this picture of an under rower, he is saying that our pastors and our preachers and our spiritual leaders are to be the under rowers of the body of Christ. Who's the captain? It's God. And they are to serve God in everything that they do as they move God's ship. What is God's ship? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. As they move God's ship where God is calling it to go. Now that, that's a, it's a humbling task. Doesn't have any glory. There's no glory in being an under rower. There's no glory in, in praise and being the person that's down in the bottom. It is a humbling experience. And the only requirement for that is that they be able to listen and discern the voice of God. Because if the captain shouts and tells the under rower to stop and they can't hear his voice, it could be a disaster. If he tells them to go faster and they can't hear his voice, it can be a disaster. And so what Paul is saying is we need to understand that the person who God calls to lead us must have it a priority in their lives to hear from God. So what does that mean? Well, the inference is that the pastor's number one responsibility Please hear this. The pastor's number one responsibility for the church is to hear from God about the direction that the church is supposed to take. And that means the priority of his life or her life needs to be having an ear to hear when God says to go and when God says to stop. That means prayer should be a priority in your pastor's life. 
If a pastor is not praying, the church is not moving. If the pastor is not hearing what the captain is yelling, if the pastor is not hearing what he is shouting for them to do, then he cannot lead the ship to where it's supposed to go. Prayer needs to be a priority. I saw in that same Guidestone survey that I gave earlier that the average Baptist pastor spends an average of 10 to 15 minutes a day in prayer for the church. That's not enough. It's not enough. But the problem in so many pastors' lives is everything else squeezes in on their prayer life. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, and he had locked himself away. The church was making some decisions about building a new building, and he had locked himself away. He had been going through prayer and fasting, and he was in the office, but he was praying, do not disturb. And he came out later, and one of the members came by and said, listen, I came by to see you, and they wouldn't let me see you. He said, well, I was praying. The member said, well, you need to do that on your own time. This is church time. See, we can laugh, but how many of us feel that way sometimes? How many of you would feel if your pastor they said, what did you do this week? I prayed. Okay, what else did you do? I prayed. We think, well, surely I'm paying you to do something else. But you need to know that the priority of a pastor, the priority of a true spiritual leader has got to be hearing the voice of the captain so that he knows when it's time to go. Does that make him no important? No, he's an under rower. It's where we get the term under shepherd. He's an under rower. He just does what the captain tells him to do. But not only does he identify this under rower, this servant of Christ, but then the second thing he says there is someone entrusted to the mysteries of God. That word entrusted in most translations says stewards, and that's a, a better translation. The King Ver- Game Version says stewards there. That the, the person that God calls to lead the church is to be an under rower for Christ and is to be a steward of God's word. Now, it's ironic that Paul uses those two roles in one sentence because the least slave, the least important slave, the least uh, slave on the role of, of slaves' responsibilities was the under rower. The most important slave was the steward because the steward was the slave who was placed in charge of the master's household. It's the same role that we have Job in Potiphar's house. Remember when Job was placed in charge of Potiphar's house? He was the steward of Potiphar's house. He is saying this is a great responsibility. You are given responsibility for what? For the mystery of God's Word. You are given a responsibility for God's Word. You're given a responsibility for how you use and understand and study and preach and teach the power of God's Word. Now, he's not saying that everybody shouldn't read the Word. We all should read the Word to grow. But what he's saying is that a pastor has an extra responsibility and an extra accountability to take this book and make sure that what they share and what they teach and what they preach is exactly what this book says. That's what Paul was warning Timothy about in Timothy. There's going to come a day when, when people are not going to want to hear the truth that's in this Word. Listen, we're already there. People don't want to hear the truth. They don't even want to understand that there is a truth. They like their truth. You've heard that term today. Well, that's not my truth. Listen, there is no your truth. There is no my truth. There is a truth. It doesn't matter what your opinion of it is. It doesn't matter what popular opinion is. It doesn't matter what the culture says. There is a truth. And men of God, the people that stand behind pulpits, that teach in Sunday school classes, that teach around in different programs, have a responsibility and accountability to make sure that when they stand behind this place and say, thus saith the Lord, that the Lord said it. Because if He didn't, 
that's a dangerous place to be. See, it's better for me. If God hadn't given me a word each week, it's better for me to come up here and say, let's keep singing, than to come up here and try to give you something that's not from God. Why? Because God said, I have been entrusted with something that is very special. And I've been entrusted in such a way that hopefully when I share it and when I teach it and I preach it, that it becomes alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. That it speaks to your heart. That it challenges you. That it talks to you. That it comes right where you are. Like I was praying earlier, there are so many times that a pastor can be preaching and the, the subject has nothing to do with what you're going through. Nothing to do with what you're struggling. But you hear the voice of God speaking to you. And you walk out of here saying, and I've had people come up and say, listen, that was such a great message. God said this to me. And I want to go, wait a minute, that didn't have anything to do with what I just said. That's the revelation, the mystery, the power of God that's revealed when somebody is faithful to being a steward of the Word of God. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody is called to it. It is a, a, a certain calling to certain people who God has entrusted to preach and teach that word. And to take advantage of that is dangerous. So what does that mean? If the top priority of a pastor should be prayer, then the second priority, he says here, should be studying and working on this Bible and preparing and teaching and preaching. Those are the two most important priorities of a pastor. It's interesting here that Paul also hints that anybody that called to be an under rower and to be a steward is always going to face criticism. It's just the place that you, you are. It's just the world that we live in. If you stand up and say, this is what the Word of God says, you're going to face criticism. You're going to face people that, that don't like what you have to say. And usually instead of attacking what you have to say, they attack you. Paul says it comes. And so what does Paul say he does when he faces criticism? He gauges it according to their opinion. He says, I don't care what you think about me, and I don't care if you want to judge me. He says, as a matter of fact, I don't even care what I think about myself. All that I care about is what God thinks about me. It's a great lesson for all of us, spiritual leader or not. To begin to ask ourselves, he says, he says, there are people's opinion of me, and I have my own opinion of myself, and then I have what God thinks about me. Now, whose opinion counts the most? See, some of you need to ask yourself, whose opinion are you listening to the most? Whose ideas are you worried about the most? What, sometimes we beat ourselves up, and we, we, we doubt ourselves, and we second-guess ourselves, and the world around us is always beating us up and, and questioning our motives and, and pulling us down. What does God say about you? Because you see, you're not going to stand in judgment in front of your friends. You're not even going to stand in judgment of your own conscience. You're going to stand in judgment of a holy God who has called you to do something, who has gifted you to do it, and is asking you, why aren't you doing it? Paul says, I'm not interested in what everybody else has to say. I'm interested in what God thinks. I'm interested in what God is calling me to. He says the, the top priority of the authentic spiritual leader is to be an under rower for Christ and to be a steward of God's Word. Now listen, you can have a great pastor that does all of the things that we think are important in the church. And I'm talking about all the ministries of the church. They visit and they, they, they love on people and they're organized and they get everything going and the trains run on time and the, the lights work and all the other stuff works. But if they are not praying 
continually for the body of Christ. And if they are not dying to self and digging into this word and preparing and bringing the church a word that is relevant and real from the powerful word of God, they're not the pastor God's called them to be. All of those other things are not unimportant. They are important. They are not as important as those two things. And I think sometimes we've lost it in the church. If you were to go and look, in the back we have the state newspapers, the newspapers for the Baptist state work. And in the back it has job descriptions for pastors, people looking for pastors. And you go read those job descriptions. It's unrealistic. Nobody could live up to some of those things. You know, all those things should say is we want a pastor who prays and hears from God for what God wants us to do. And we want a pastor that is going to spend all and most of his time studying and preparing to bring a word from God that is going to challenge us and encourage us and bless us and change us. And all of those other things will come. You know why a pastor does all those other things? You know how the church starts saying, well, you know, we need, to, we need the pastor to go visit every person that's sick. And listen, I love going and visiting people in the hospital. I love going and visiting, praying with people that are sick. Because my mom spent four years in the hospital before she died. And I, I was blessed every time someone came in to pray for her and to pray with her. I, I love doing that. I love doing all of the other things. No, I don't love all of it. I love most of the other things that come from being a pastor. But all of those other things are things that God called the church to do, not the pastor. I'm just going to be honest with you. And the church stopped doing it, and they said, we pay him, let him do it. And so the men of God and the women of God who were called to come and lead the body of Christ and to bring word from the Lord to the body have spent all their time doing all the stuff that the church decided they didn't want to do. And then once they started doing it, then the church said, good, let them keep doing it. That way we can just come on Sunday and we can hear a good word and everything keeps running. Pastor can't spend all those plates. Sooner or later, one of them's going to come crashing. And if your expectation of as a pastor is that he gets to the hospital to visit every uh, person that everyone ever knows that's sick and that they're at every circumstance in every situation or every event, that they take care of every problem the moment the problem is revealed, then you're going to be disappointed because there's not enough hours in a day to appeal to that expectation. But if your expectation of a pastor is that they are praying, and you can tell when a pastor's praying, there's an anointing, there is a power there. You can tell when they are speaking for the Lord. If your expectation is that when you hear your pastor and you listen to what he's saying, that you hear and experience the power of the Word of God, then you will always leave if that pastor is a servant leader fulfilled. I love what Paul says. I worry more about God's opinion than man's opinion. Then in verse 6 through 8, he he takes a little diversion. And this is where Paul gets ugly. And uh, this is where he gets a little sarcastic. And so you'll have to listen as you hear it and hear the sarcasm in here because he's going to confront their arrogance that they had in the Corinthian church. They were arrogant because, listen, if, if you're criticizing the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Apollos, then there has to be some arrogance in you. I mean, that's just honest, okay? If you're, if you're judging them, there's some arrogance there. So here's what Paul says. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. The reason I'm saying this is so you'll listen to me, so that you will learn the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. What does that mean? Don't, don't 
Go beyond what you know. Don't try to judge those things that you don't understand. Don't try to, to judge motives when you don't know the motives. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. For what makes you different from anyone else? What have you had that you did not receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast about it although you do not? He's saying, listen, who are you to question what God is calling spiritual leaders to do? Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't just follow a leader without question. You shouldn't. That's why the Bereans, everything that Paul said, they said, I'm going to see, where is it? That's why you should always hold your spiritual leaders accountable to what they're preaching and what they're teaching and what they're doing. But what he's saying is, when you do that, you do it with an attitude of humility. He says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you have something special that no one else has? Because anything that you have, God's given you anyway. Then he really gets ugly. For already you have all you want. You've become rich. You've become kings. And that's without us. How I wish you really had become kings so that you might be kings with us. What is he saying? He's saying, you already think you got all the answers. Why do you need a pastor? You already know it all. Why do you need a pastor? Why do you need somebody to come and teach you because you think you've got it made? When you come before God thinking you've got all the answers, you'll never hear from him. If you don't come with a humble spirit and a humble heart, you won't hear from the Lord. And then he, he changes direction and he lays out kind of, he's been talking about the pastor's responsibility and now he's going to talk about what a pastor's life looks like. And it's not really a great picture. I want you to listen to what he says. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to the arena. For we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. At this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up until this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. What a use of words. See, what Paul is saying is... the. Job of a pastor, he's saying, not only are you a servant, not only are you a steward, but he's also saying the pastor's life is always going to be a spectacle. He said they're a spectacle. And the picture he's painting is from what was called the Roman triumph. Any of you that have studied Roman history know that when a Roman general won a great battle, when he defeated uh, conquered lands, they would throw a huge parade for him in Rome. And the Roman general would ride at the head of that parade and behind him, all of the people from the captured nations would be in chains and they would walk behind them. It was this huge parade of showing those who won and those who had been defeated. And those people who were behind the Roman general, the crowd would boo and hiss and throw things at him. So why in the world is Paul comparing a Christian leader, a spiritual authority, to the person that's at the back of the line? Because he's saying you need to understand that when you stand up and begin to serve God, when you begin to lead other people, you are always going to be on public display. It's a way of saying that life as a pastor is a fishbowl. And you better get used to it. You have an accountability that is higher than the normal Christian. Now that's not comfortable for a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors, they back out of ministry because of that. People say, well, that's not fair. No, it's not fair, but it's reality. Because you see, when, when a, a man commits adultery against his wife and leaves her, that's a scandal for a family. 
But when a pastor commits adultery against his wife and leaves her, that's a scandal for a community. And it hinders the gospel of Christ. See, what Paul is saying is I recognize that everything I do is being judged and everything I do is being looked at and everything I do is being scrutinized and I will take it because the world thinks I am scum. God thinks I am a servant. God thinks I'm a steward, but the world thinks that I am the lowest of the low. And, and what he, why is he doing this? Why is he saying this? Because he is trying to encourage the church. Listen, your spiritual leader is already under enough scrutiny. They already take enough flack. They take enough heat from the world. They know that every time they walk out, somebody is watching them, waiting for them to fail, waiting for them to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing so that they can jump on it, so they can criticize Christianity. He's saying they already face that. And when you in the church judge and criticize and, and condemn your spiritual leader, all you're doing is adding to the burden that the world has put on them. In reality, the church is supposed to take away the burdens to make it easier to be able to serve one to another. I'm supposed to help you with your burden. You're supposed to help me with mine. But when we are overtly critical, when we are wrongly judgmental of a spiritual leader, not just your spiritual leader, but other spiritual leaders, all we're doing is heaping the same burden on them that the world throws at them. Doesn't sound like a fun job. What does he say? He says, Work with my own hands, homeless, hungry, tired. But I love what he said there in verse 12 and 13, how the spiritual leader is expected to handle problems. He said, when we are cursed, we're supposed to bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. He says a spiritual leader is not supposed to act like the rest of the world. They're supposed to act like Christ. They're a spectacle. It just comes with the job. Then Paul ends here with, with what many of us would consider one of the most important roles of a pastor. Not only is he supposed to be a steward of God's Word, not only is he supposed to be an underrower, the, the person that is helping to guide, but then Paul says he's also supposed to be a spiritual father to the body of Christ. He changes his tune. Listen to what he says in verse 14. changes the whole tenor of what he's been saying. For I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. King James says, as my loved children. He says, listen, I'm, I'm writing this to open your eyes. Because I consider you my children. I consider you my spiritual children. I love you as a father loves a child. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. See, what Paul's saying is a pastor's supposed to spend his time in prayer. He's supposed to spend his time studying the God's Word. And he's supposed to spend his time being a father to the body of Christ that he's called to. What does a father do? A father leads and a father guides and a father loves and a father says, follow me and watch my example. A authentic spiritual leader should always be a spiritual mentor, a spiritual father for the body of Christ. His priorities, her priorities should always be concerned for the spiritual safety and security and comfort and growth of the congregation that God's called them to. That means my, my heart is to bless you and to encourage you and to love you 
But it also means I have to correct you. Sometimes that means I have to go into God's Word when God puts it on my heart and bring a word of correction. Not out of anger, not out of vengeance, but out of love. Paul says, the reason I'm writing this to you is because I love you. The reason I want you to hear this is because I consider myself your father. I think sometimes people in the church think preachers love to preach harsh sermons. I mean, I think people think, well, you, you know, here's another one of those hellfire and brimstone or harsh sermons and preachers preach that. In reality, it's not up to the preacher. If God tells them to preach that, then they better preach that. And if they're preaching something that God didn't tell them to preach, then they're going to give an account to God. But I'll just tell you personally, harsh sermons, sermons of correction are the hardest sermons for me to preach. They're hard. They remind me, because first of all, I've been dealing with a scripture that you, I'm preaching to you. I've been dealing with it for a month or more. And God's been beating me up for the same things that he's going to beat you up. He's been making me black and blue. But then for me to have to come and share it with you, knowing that it, it brings correction, it hurts. It's kind of like when you're a parent correcting your kids. We always say it hurts them more than it hurts you. You, you don't believe that when you're a kid. When you become an adult, you understand what that means. How hard it is to bring correction to your kids. Especially when you see them doing something that they like, right? Something that they're having fun doing. Your kids are out there playing with the fire and, and the fire looks great and the fire looks fun and you've got to go and say, listen, you need to stop. Get away from it. And they're like, That's, you're just being mean and it's fire and it's fun. And, and you're just trying to do what? To protect them. Paul's saying, there's times that I'm going to have to come and protect you through the word of God. Not because I'm trying to be mean, but because God wants to protect you. Matter of fact, a lot of people don't even preach through 1 Corinthians because it seems like Paul is doing a lot of correcting. But it's exactly what Paul needed to say to that church, and it's exactly what we need to hear. That's why we're studying through 1 Corinthians. I've got to tell you, as your pastor, I've been here 12 years, almost 13 years, which is hard to believe. And there have been good times, and there have been great times, and there have been bad times. But it wasn't until I realized that God called me to pastor this church and not be popular in this church that God started to use me to change this church. It wasn't until I realized that the most important thing I could do is please God and not please people that God began to work in this congregation. And that's a great lesson for all of us this morning. Because some of you this morning, you are so focused on what other people think about you, on what other people are doing, and you've forgotten what God's called you to do. You've forgotten who God called you to be. It's not until you understand and embrace who you are in Jesus Christ and begin to serve Him that God will really use you. Doesn't mean discount what everybody else thinks. That's impossible. Doesn't mean ignore suggestions. Doesn't mean ignore what people have to say. What it means is weigh it. What's more important? What they say, what God says. Scripture is pretty clear. I believe this is what God's called me to do as your pastor. It's what I'm committed to doing. It's what I've been committed to doing here. God's called me to be an under rower, a servant of Christ, to pray continually to hear Christ voice for this church 
He's called me to be a steward of this word. My commitment to you, and I shared this 13 years ago, almost 13 years ago, is that I'll never stand in this pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, if he hadn't said it. My commitment to you is I'll prepare every Sunday like it's my last Sunday. That's the way I look at it. That this may be my last chance ever to stand before you and tell you what the Lord wants you to hear. I certainly don't want to waste it. And my commitment to you is that I will be a spiritual father, that I will lead you if you're willing to follow, that I will encourage you, that I'll bless you, that I'll strengthen you, and that I'll correct you through the love and the power of God's Word. That's what I'm committed to doing. My prayer is that each one of you in this room will answer what God is calling you to do in this church what God is asking you to serve in and be committed to, to this body of Christ, so that I might serve God faithfully and so that you might be fulfilled and serve Him faithfully. I'll pray for you if you're willing to pray for me. There was a young farmhand who was applying for a job as a farmer's ranch at a farm. He went in and he met with the farmer, and the farmer asked him for his qualifications. And the only thing that the farmer had said would ask about his qualifications. He said, I can sleep when the wind blows. That sounds silly. The farmer didn't understand it. I can sleep when the wind blows. But he liked the guy. He decided he wanted to give him a chance, so he hired the guy. The guy came to work for the farmer, and after a while, they'd been working, and everything seemed to be doing good, and a storm came in. There was a tornado warning. Middle of the night, and the husband and wife, farmer and his wife, got up and they began to check the farm to see that everything was secured. They ran out to check the different areas and they found that the shutters to the farmhouse had already been closed and already been secured and that the logs had been put in the, by the fireplace and everything had been taken care of. And they went out into the farm and began to look and all the animals were where they were supposed to be and they were pinned up and all of the tools and all the implements were all put up in the shed where they were supposed to be. Everything was exactly like it was. Even the animals were calm. And they looked over at the farmhand, and he was dead asleep. And it was then that the farmer understood the farmhand's words, that I can sleep when the wind blows. Because what that means is the farmhand did his work faithfully and loyally when the skies were clear. So when the storms came, it wasn't a worry. When the winds blow... When the winds came and the winds blew, he wasn't afraid. He could sleep in peace. Now, there's nothing heroic or significant about what the farmhand did. He just faithfully carried out his duties. So that's my job. When an authentic spiritual leader commits and serves faithfully as a servant, as a steward, and as a mentor, spiritual father, if they're faithful in that, no matter what storms the church might face, we can sleep, we can rest, we can be at peace. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you.